I realized that I was losing that spark that made me that kid in the tree with a camera uh, when I was when I was younger. Um, and so I recognized that and I went looking for adventures. Welcome to the Adventure Podcast and this conversation with Lucy Shepherd. Lucy is an adventurer and explorer, and I sat down with her recently at the Royal Geographical Society to talk about her life, her early exposure to adventure, and her career in the world of exploration and expeditions. I'm glad I managed to speak to Lucy at this specific moment in her life and career. She's done some incredible things, and she's at the stage now where she's really reflecting on her experiences to date, and the successes and some of the lessons learned. She's clearly had a lot of time to reflect on what she's achieved and how she wants to alter how she navigates her projects in the future. It was brilliant to hear her being positively critical about the past, as well as enjoying her successes. And I felt that there was a lot to learn about owning the errors we've made and building on the foundations of something after a decade of experience. There are some rip-roaring tales of adventure in this episode, as well as some more philosophical commentary on the world of adventure and exploration. Okay, over to Lucy Shepherd. Um, it would be good, as always, to just begin by introducing yourself. Tell me who you are and what you do. Yeah, so uh, my name is Lucy Shepherd, um, and I I have a rather sort of... I, I've learned to live with the title. I call myself an explorer. Um, now I call myself an un- unapologetically an explorer, which I'm sure we might go into. But uh, I've been doing expeditions for over 10 years now. Um, I, it was something that I decided I wanted to take as a career quite early on. had no idea how I was going to do it. Um, and it's been full-time um, explorer for a few years now, which is, is something I never... Yeah, I always wanted it to happen, but um, I'm really, really loving the dream right now. Uh, I've never really specialised, so I like to go. Um, well, I do a lot of expeditions in the in the jungles, up in the Arctic, um, and some high mountains as well. Um, so the world is a big place. There's a lot to go to. So um, I get very excited about what's out there. Nice. And I think it would be really useful with you particularly to talk about your background as a kind of child and what life was like growing up. Yes. Well... My background, so I'm an only child. That wasn't planned. You know, I, do, I was, there were twins before me that didn't work out, I think, and then uh, I was a triplet that didn't work out. So I sort of say that as a, uh, I think I would have had brothers and sisters, um, but only child growing up in Suffolk, which I know is uh, where you're living now. It's a beautiful part of the world. Uh, it's a very, very easy, um, everything just slows down there, doesn't it? And uh, I was given quite a long leash to roam around um, in the fields and things like that. Uh, because an only child, I think it played a big part in being, having to be quite imag- like big imagination. Um, so I would often you know, just play in trees and make a lot of games for myself. Uh, I became very obsessed with um, Disney films like Tarzan and Jungle Book uh, and just really tried to relive it right up until quite old, like, like when I shouldn't probably have been pretending to be Tarzan and things like that. And I picked up a camera very early on as well because I realised uh, I got lucky. I was sort of, my dad had this camcorder and I think I was 10 and we were on holiday in Scotland and he sort of said, you can play around with it. Um, and after I sort of was playing around with it, he said, I think there's a programme where you can 
cut things and this magic, you can kind of make magic with it. And so I started that and I got really, really into it because I realized all these imaginary games I've been playing um, when I was younger, I could actually make it and then show it, show what was in my mind to other people. Um, so those two went hand in hand, the sort of filmmaking and the outdoor adventure. But um, I, I think a lot of kids like to climb trees, don't they? I'm sure most people, we're, we're at the Royal Geographical Society at the moment, I'm sure if you ask people in, that, in the room if they uh, like to climb trees, they were, when they were younger, they would put their hands up. However, now, um, when you get older, people, you know, if you ask them the same question, they probably won't put their hand up. And I recognised that when I sort of hit about 15 years old. Every year, I went to the normal school, um, was trying to fit in, probably didn't fit in that well. It wasn't like I was the, in the popular gang or anything like that. And kept trying to think, well, how can I change myself in order to fit in, really? Uh, and then it really clicked, like, why you know, Why should you? Um, you know, all these things like peer pressure, like society, education, um, the media, these things tell you you have to fit into one mould. And I realised that I was losing that spark that made me that kid in the tree with a camera uh, when, I was, when I was younger. Um, and so I recognised that and I went looking for adventures. And there was this, I had this sort of connection with my, you know, my parents weren't in the military, they weren't. They're not explorers. We didn't go on sort of gnarly hiking, you know, climbing holidays or anything like that. I just knew I really used to really like climbing really high in trees and climbing up ropes really high. And I got a thrill out of seeing adults in particular being shocked by something that, you know, me myself putting myself in danger. Um, and it made me go even higher sort of thing. And um, my dad recognised that as well. And he had a connection to somewhere up in Scotland, up really up near the sort of Cape Wrath area. Um, and there's an adventure school up there um, in Ardmore called the Ridgeway Adventure School. Uh, you know it? Yep. And um, so he knew sort of, he had some connection there. And uh, John Ridgeway, sort of a pioneering uh, explorer, adventurer guy, used to run it. And now his daughter, um, Rebecca, uh, runs it. And they do this sort of two-week survival adventure thing where you go off, you leave your parents, and you go off for two weeks from kids all around the world, um, so it's not just British, um, and you go and you have this taste of like, kayaking and climbing, and you have to swim in the water every morning um, in the free, before you have breakfast. And, and uh, I was 15 when I went on that, and I went on that, and that was absolutely life-changing because, first of all, I was introduced to the word expedition, and I thought, wow, I didn't know people like me could go on expeditions. So that was the first thing. Secondly, I found these sort of these people um, that were in on my wavelength. Uh, and I found this ability that actually I could be confident. You know, I was always labelled shy when I was at school. Um, yet here in the outdoors, it was, oh, I can actually, I'm quite good at this and I could be a leader. And of course, if you find something you're quite good at, you're naturally going to probably become even better at it because you enjoy it and uh, it's always it's you heard of leader's legs no so leader's le leader's legs is you know if you're uh, say uh mountaineering or walking um if you're at the front you are feeling absolutely fantastic and you it doesn't matter who you're with you might just be with friends you might be with a team uh you often you'll 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 think everything's great if you're right at the back you will feel even worse because there's no way you can catch up. There's no way, which is really quite unfair. And it's, there's that old thing of if you're at the back, the, the, the front people are taking a break. 
you get there, they put their rucksacks on and off they go. Yeah. And it's this draining feeling. Whereas if you're doing well at something, you're, you're probably likelihood going to do better at it. So I went on that. Um, and one thing was it was really good weather. <laughs> it was for two weeks in Scotland. It was fantastic weather. Maybe it would have been a different story if it had been uh, pouring with rain. But I got back from that and I thought, well, expeditions, I want to do more of them. How can I do more of them? And no idea how. Uh, started to get more into the sort of old-time explorers. Uh, I started to get a bit of, you know, watching the Bear Grylls, um, Man vs. Wild and things like that, reading his books. And it wasn't necessarily him, but it was all these places that he was going to. And I was sort of, wow, all these different terrains exist. You know, one time you know, he's in the Rocky Mountains, then he's in the deserts. I want to go all, to, all of those places, but how? And I was looking, uh, looking for... Uh, how I could do more and um, one of the obvious options seemed like the military but I just I didn't want to do that and I also didn't want to be an outdoor instructor um, no disrespect to either of those it just wasn't for me um, and so I sort of umming and ahhing I thought well I'll do film and television because I like storytelling at university that seemed um, clear but how can I include both um, and I saw an advert in the paper uh, and it was from the Royal Geographical Society for the part of the British, it was sort of advertising the British Schools Exploration Society back when they did, they used to do these sort of extreme expeditions, which were, were three months long or so. Um, and they would take a small group, so only 10 people. They would pick those people, so you had to go through interviews. Um, and so did that. And they sort of, back then, they support with fundraising as well um, and teach you sort of go on a crash course with all of that. And I applied, I went through the training, learned how to fundraise, and um, I got in. And so straight away, uh, when I was sort of, I hit 18, so straight out of school, um, I hate to say the gap year thing, but uh, it was taken, it seemed like the obvious, it was, I didn't know this could continue. There was a big gap before you start other, other, other stuff. Went on this, it was into Svalbard, up in the Arctic. And it was, I mean, it was from, what was it, start of April, all the way to the end of June or something. And so we saw the, saw the sort of slush flow melt. Uh, it had aspects of um, mapping ice caves, climbing mountains that had never recordedly be climbed, uh, measuring flush, flush, slush flows and um, birds and things like that. Um, and it really was just spectacular. That amount of time as your first experience, especially when you were that young, it felt like a lifetime. Um, and I just thrived in the learning to how, how you can be so disciplined and then you can control some pretty uncomfortable moments and that teamwork dynamic. Um, and really what happened is, yeah, I remember the last, we cut off from civilization completely. You, know, you don't have phones, but you don't have trackers or anything like that. And the last day we come up and we see Longyearburn, the, the town in Svalbard, and there's that sinking feeling of, okay, this is over. And you get back and so often... So often or not, when it's when you're that age or when you have an adventure or your first adventure, people say, wow, what an amazing once-in-a-lifetime adventure. And that, they're, meant, they're, it's, yeah, they're meaning to be nice, but the fact that that's once-in-a-lifetime, that was sort of a horrific idea for me. And I thought, wait, uh, for a while I went quite low. I really struggled with that, that expedition blues, but it was more, it became more than that. I was looking to fill that gaping hole. Um, I got obsessed with running, got obsessed with trying to control other areas of my life. Um, and it wasn't until I actually started to meet 
the people I used to hang around here at the Royal Geographical Society, just in the corridors, um, and try and introduce or find out how people have made this their life. And realize that there was never there was never going to be one way, but it was possible. Um, and so that's I sort of decided right. Don't know how I'm going to get there. It's going to take a long time because I had no ex- you know it wasn't like wasn't growing growing up doing rope skills or anything like that. It's going to take a long time, but I just got to get more experience, and that's where it sort of all started. Amazing. <laughs> It's actually very similar to my introduction to Is it. Is it really? Yeah, I'll tell you about that in the day. Okay. Um, very similar. So you go to Svalbard, you have this incredible experience, you come home, you're kind of low as a result of it. What do you do next? How do you overcome that? What follows? So, yeah, I um, what follows? Um, I realised that I needed to figure out how to make it make it my life. And I was still, I was started university. Um, and at university, uh, obviously, your time is taken up quite a lot. But the great thing about uni is you do get a lot of long time breaks. So I thought, well, I've got to use this break. I don't know when it's, I'm going to get it again. Um, I still didn't think this could be a career anytime soon. Um, there's that looming idea that you've got to have a sensible job as soon as you finish uni. Even though I was doing film and TV, it was still like, well, I've got to, I've got to get a stable, secure job. Um, so what I did, I really, I sort of recognised that I was still young. Um, and when you're young, like under sort of 21, 20, or even 25, there are, if you really, really dig the internet and ask a lot of questions, you can find grants. Um, and <clears throat> these grants can come from the sort of most uh, surprising places, like random counties that might have a sort of um, a trust that want to give... Um, grants to people who are doing something cool. And a lot of people don't apply to them because they don't publicise themselves. And they're actually looking for people to give these... They're, they're not masses amount of money, but they are enough to do something you know, cool with. Um, so I started doing all of that, um, getting jobs and sort of waitressing jobs and saving up. And I, um, I really, really thought that the whole world of climbing was something I should get into, the mountaineering side. So I went and learned sort of the testing my abilities with high altitude up in fairly manageable mountains up in Bolivia and stuff like that. Um, Realised I liked that as well. Um, I really, um, I knew, I felt comfortable in the Arctic, so I was doing more Arctic stuff, but what I needed is to find more people to do it with. So that was sort of reaching out to others and see, and then I started to scout, because you think of the Arctic, you think it's going to be super expensive and hard to get to, but you start to realise actually there are really accessible places, um, like Scandinavia or, I mean, Greenland's a bit further, but um, Scandinavia in particular, the north side of Scandinavia, um, going up to the plateaus up there, you can kind of replicate uh, the polar regions with those big open lakes that go on for uh, 20 kilometres or something. Um, so it's getting more experience than that. And then university finishes, and I really do think that uh, that's going to be it. Time to get a proper job. I've had, really had a good stint here. Uh, and But I was like, well, before I finish, there's one environment that I haven't been that I've always wanted to go to from my Tarzan and Jungle Book days. I've got to go to the jungle. And again, just researching, 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 um, asking people who I'd met, you know, what can I do in the jungle? I have no jungle skills. And came across uh, Bushmasters, um, which is a company, which I know you're aware of. And I, uh, a friend knew Ian. 
Ian Craddock, who ran Bush Bushmasters. And I got in touch with Ian and we had a conversation and he seemed like quite a character. And I said, I really want to do the survival this course um and he was like yeah that's fine and I was like well I also really want to do something afterwards as well I don't just want to do the course I want to push if one I'm out there push it um so I I sort of went the idea was to go on the course and then afterwards go off for a month um with two um two Amerindians Lionel and Harold who I'm sure you might have met um and uh that's what I did thinking this was going to be the last trip and headed off, met Ian properly. We hit it off. Um, we really sort of formed quite an alliance during the survival course. Also met Anders for the first time. Uh, Anders, um, I'm sure we'll talk about him later, but a uh, very good, very good friend, um, uh, da- Danish. And he had just moved to Guyana and he was learning from Ian um, about how to sort of work, work or do Ian's job. So Ian basically, he runs survival courses, but also... Uh, would, would run um, as a fixer for film and TV and expeditions. And it's quite a legend in the country and did a lot for, for the indigenous communities. And uh, so I met Anders, met Lionel and met Ian all in this one one experience back in 2014. All of us hit it off and um, did that, went on this uh, trip. It was a pretty tame trip, but it had some pretty hairy moments with um, some Jaguar encounters with um, Lionel and Harold. Uh, it's a cannot cannot go into but um it uh it was just one of those big life-defining moments and it wasn't I didn't realize just how defining it was until quite a bit later um and essentially skip forward a bit came back moved to London thought it was proper job time had three months realized absolutely this can't be this can't be proper job time I have to do this for the rest of my life getting itchy feet uh recognize uh, realized that I could get um working freelance so until I could do this full-time I could have a freelance job which meant I could then leave contracts and go off and get on expeditions whenever I want so I wasn't ever tied down uh, and then kept doing that until I basically felt I had enough of a message and purpose and story to tell um, and, to, and reputation because it takes a long time get credible and for people to actually think you're serious and really it is just a you know people give up <laughs> if you're in the game long enough um and you just stick with it because you love it it doesn't matter it's all cheesy it's all about the journey but it is um because you'll just stay with it and that's what I did and then um yeah it for 10 10 years or whatever <laughs> so it's now full time so yeah <laughs> amazing before we move on and there's some kind of mm. deep stuff I want to get into but mm. Tell me about the Jaguar encounters. The Jaguar encounters. Well, subsequently, I've had quite a lot of Jaguar encounters now. It seemed to Jaguars and Bushmaster snakes. It's um, it's uh, something that where I go, they're just everywhere. Um, but the first Jaguar encounter was it was my first night with Lionel and Harold on this after the survival course, and um, I'm this twen- early twenties uh, lonesome female um, British. Uh, Lionel, you know, he'd taken taken lots of people into the jungle before, but rarely, I think, or never one female. Um, they decided to respect my privacy. So they put their hammocks quite far away, uh, which is something I'm sure you know, where we don't do in the jungle, safety in numbers. And I'm feeling sort of pretty chuffed to finally be there. I'm feeling like, oh, I'm ready. Look at me, you're in the pitch black. You can't see a hand in front of you. Can you? It's so dark under the canopy. There's loads of noises. You've got the howlers, the frogs, and all crazy things. And, um, and then I sort of hear this noise and I think it's interesting. Is it a frog? And I hear it again. 
And then I hear again, and there's a Jaguar just sort of five, 10 meters around my tarp. And I'm sort of thinking, oh my goodness, what's going on? And it's sort of coming closer, but then it's here and it's, it's clearly, I feel like it's stalking me. This goes on for quite some time. And um, what basically happened is there was suddenly a huge, huge noise um, and I feel movement because I'm just standing, staying as still as I can uh, in this whole process. Um, and with my machete out of my hammock, of course, and I've just got this little penknife that was in my pocket because <laughs> I, you know, Jaguars, if you, um, you know, they, they attack from behind. So they attack from behind and they pierce the skin with their big, big, long teeth, um, kind of like saber-tooth saber uh, tigers. Uh, they pierce the skin, uh, skin in your skull, piercing their brain instantly. Uh, you often see them like dragging caiman and things like that. Super strong, third biggest cat. And uh, so I was I was very aware of this. So I was holding this little Swiss army knife above my head, thinking, well, I can just probably prod it in my mouth, in its mouth or something. Um, but then, yeah, there's a huge, I sort of get moved around this hammock for a few seconds. It goes, it goes off and it disappears. Um, the light comes up, it, it shines the canopy floor. Um, I'm sort of shaking. Uh, I go over to Harold and say, I've heard this noise. There was all this thing going on. I, you know, I didn't sleep a wink. What's going on? And Harold is a very silent man. And he simply just comes over, um, comes over to my hammock, um, looks down, looks up, and he nods and says, Jaguar. And then we go and we look two metres uh, across from my tarp, and there's the carcass of an armadillo. And so it had just been eaten. And what had happened is the armadillo was underneath my hammock, taking refuge, and the jaguar was teasing it and toying with it, and then got it, and we found it. <laughs> so that was the first night of a whole month of... Uh, yes, after that, we were all very close together. <laughs> Jesus. Welcome to the jungle. I know, I know. <laughs> but th but experiences like that, I think you you know it can go one of two ways. You can look at that and say, "Hey, I don't know if this is for me," or, "Oh my god, that was an experience I thought I'd never had." You know, maybe I don't want to replicate it again in the future. Yeah. But wow, what does an experience like that do to you? Well, to start with, I did come back from that thinking maybe the jungle isn't for me. Um, there's so much, so many. It's such an adventure when you're in the jungle. You don't know what around what's around every corner. Um, whereas if you're in the mountains or in the Arctic and it's a good day, you can kind of have some sort of, um, you can switch off a little bit. Whereas under the canopy in the deep jungle, when you know rescue is nowhere near, you kind of have to, your senses are heightened. You have to be alert all the time and it's quite exhausting. Um, but then a few years passed, I started to do more mountaineering and stuff. And I was, I was giving talks um, started to give talks and realised that maybe I was being a bit of a hypocrite because I was telling people to push their boundaries and place their fears and here I was not going back to the jungle. And there seemed like the jungle seemed like such a place for adventure. You know, it's the place where we grow up, grow up with the stories. Um, so I thought I've got to get back. And then this is where the whole story of a recent, recent trip um, started because I got back in touch with Ian um, and we started planning a sort of smaller trip that I did back in 2020 and then it all, yeah, it all built up to to the last year's. I was actually in the jungle this time last year, so um, for the big one. And the big one was. Tell the me the story. One, the big one. Um, okay, so the 
after in 2020, um, Ian comes to me and he says, there's this area, the Kanuki Mountains. Uh, it's pretty, you know, people go there, but they don't go there properly. He tried to cross it, um, even just the, just the south to north route, and he, he had had to turn back. Um, and so he was almost... It was quite an honour to be given this because you know, sometimes people, you have expedition ideas and you kind of want to keep them keep them quite close sometimes and it's you hesitant to share them because it's it's getting harder and harder to find a good expedition idea. Um, and he says, well, it's Kanuki Mountains, you should look into it. I had sponsorship. Um, I didn't have a huge amount of time, um, but I also didn't know just how what this terrain was going to be like. And this is yeah, this is twenty twenty, and the idea was to go from south to north. Uh, across the Kanuka Mountains from Sand Creek Village to Nappy Village. Um, I was only going to have um, one teammate, um, uh, Aaron, China, known as Chinese, uh, but actually uh, it was the last point of civilization up in, up in Lethem. Um, like so I say civilization, like, mod, you know, modern internet civilization. Um, and I was packing my bag and um, there's a knock at the door. And I'm not expecting anyone at all. And they go, who the hell, who's this? Like, Ian wasn't with me at that time. He'd helped me plan the sort of some of the, the permissions and things like that um, and sort of put me in touch with, with Chinese. And there's a knock at the door and I, and I open the door and there's two very angry-looking Amerindians. I don't know who they are. Um, uh, their names are Guy and Eggy. And they say, are you Lucy Shepherd? I say, yes. They say, we've heard you've come to cross the Kanuki Mountains. Um, and I said, yes. And they go, well, what gives you the right to cross these mountains that we've lived in the shadows of our whole lives? And I think, oh, God, shit, like... I've never really, you know, thought about how stupid, how naive was it to not think that, you know, maybe other people would like to come with me. Um, but of course, that is stupid because the there's the explorers in us in us all, um, and there's adventurers all around the world. Doesn't matter where you live. And the reason they hadn't, you know, some people ask, well, they, so these guys lived in Nappy, Nappy village, and some of the questions I get asked, well, if they lived there, why couldn't they just grab their bags and? track the mountains themselves and the problem is once you get to once you track over the mountains the logistics to then get back to their village um yeah even though it's not much financially it still takes quite a lot of um pulling things together and sorting it out um and they're really angry and i think oh my god i'm feeling very quite guilty and i think well let's sit down and so I say, well, um, let's. I want to listen. Let's chat. I'll buy you a coke. And they'd made a made a really long journey. They managed to find a little moped motorcycle thing to get to me. Um, and I'm due to leave tomorrow. And I said, well, you, know, you seem like good guys. We have lots of conversations. I managed to get the sort of steam coming out of their ears out just by listening and talking to them about it. And I say, okay, well. Um, you know what, how about you come with me? Uh, on one condition, though, you have to go all the way back to your village uh, up in Nappy. You have to tell your wives, your families, that this thing, this dream, this adventure you've been thinking about your whole lives, you've got to, um, you go, you're going to go on it tomorrow. And they say, yeah, that's fine, but on one condition for you, Lucy. And I go, yeah, sure, whatever, anything. Say, so, can our mates come as well? And so suddenly uh, this team of, like, two of us uh, went to, like, six. Um, so, But it was it was great. And uh, we had a sort of fairly uh, manageable expedition. We had some one bit in the middle where everything, one day, where just we had a big story to tell with them. Uh, all of our correspondence went down because of the thickness of the canopy. We ended up in a Bushmaster snake nesting ground at the completely wrong time that you should be in a nesting ground at so it's 3 p.m. And there was uh, uh, Bento, one of our team, he sort of started saying there was a jaguar in front of us. So we just had to like, get 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 off the ground and there. But um, it was clear from that 
expedition that there was so much left to explore um, in that area. And essentially, I got back to Georgetown, the, the city uh, in Guyana. And um, Ian, he I hadn't seen him at all. And I, it was the night before I was due to go back to the UK. And we were really keen to meet each other. And uh, uh, we he, he was sort of really late. It was 10 p.m. because he'd spent... Um, uh, spent the day uh, throwing Gordon Ramsay out of a helicopter for uh, for his show uh, and having a bit of a nightmare there. And he he, he made it all the way. Um, so we had a little conversation. We were sat in the hotel and opposite uh, each other on the sofas. And I said, Look, I really feel like I'm ready to you know do something that we don't know is is it even going to be doable. And Ian just sort of sits back and um, shrugs his shoulders and says, well, you've got to cross the whole thing now, don't you? Um, and by that, he meant like the whole Kanuki Mountains. So, and it, it's kind of uh, questionable where it starts. So we thought, well, to be even safer, we'll start all the way um, from a, a river called the Esquibo River uh, and go all the way to the border of Brazil. Um, and he sort of went on and he said, this area is especially the eastern part of it. It's very unknown. People are scared to go in there. There's no really... Um, apart from when you, there's two rivers that you have to cross, two main rivers, and of course people go down those rivers all the time. And uh, the, the the previous sort of historical Balata leaders would have gone uh, sort of two, three days within the forest from those rivers, but no one had gone into the deep, dense bit um, that we that we know of. Um, and there's a lot of spirits and myths that that uh, form these Kanuku Mountains. And um, uh, again, also the, the maps, the only maps that are there are 50 years old, uh, taken by a Canadian pilot who took some photos 50 years ago, drew what he saw, and they're pretty unreliable. They're pretty good in the mountainous areas, um, but they're very unreliable in the lowlands, um, which made it even really quite hard to plan. Um, but I thought, that's great, that that's it. Um, and we started thinking, well, this is going to be pretty pretty big. I sort of thought it's going to take a lot of permissions and permits you have to get a lot of different indigenous um the two showers the chief of the villages you have to go around each of them and you have to get permissions from every one of them even though no one lives in this area they all the indigenous communities live um uh, own the land so you have to get permission from them you also have to get permission from protected half of it's protected half of it isn't part of the expedition mission is to sort of bring awareness of the whole area trying to make the whole area protected for um, the Amerindian communities, because uh, it's, it's at risk of um, illegal mining, which pollutes everything. Down, it doesn't matter if it's been done miles and miles away from um, the communities and, and forests and all of that, all of that stuff. Also, government permissions, military, so much to do, and two resupplies we would need, which is just logistic, logistical nightmare. Just about to start that, and then um, sadly, as as we know, um, I wake up in the morning, um, I get a message saying, have you heard about Ian? And I think, what, no? And I sort of suddenly type his, it's, mid, it's early in the morning, it's type his name into Google, um, Ian Craddock. Uh, and then there it is, so Ian Craddock sudden, dies suddenly. Um, and he had died uh, out running um, in, in Lethem suddenly um, of a heart, basically a heart attack. And it was this... It was kind of an odd feeling, actually, um, because it wasn't just a friend who had gone, which was devastating. Uh, I'd just introduced him to my boyfriend, Tim. We were all, he'd just been in London briefly, and um, this adventure felt like, oh, there's so much excitement around this adventure. But he was this wealth of knowledge and this wealth of contacts. And suddenly it wasn't just him 
leaving. It was also the idea of this sort of this dream adventure that was also go, slipping through my fingers. And it seemed sort of completely impossible without Ian's help. Um, but it, I think it may have even been the same day after sort of processing processing it. I was like, no, you know, he's, yeah, he would want me to continue. He would want me to figure out this. He'd, he'd given me this, uh, this permission almost to do this adventure. I've got to find a way. Um, got in touch, no, actually, Anders got in touch with me very, uh, very soon after. We had a conversation. Uh, Anders hadn't been in the country. He wanted to get back uh, in Guyana working. Um, and he said, that I want to, I'm, I'm going to, we're going to make this happen. Um, and so Anders and I came together and we were doing it, doing it for Ian. Um, pretty much all of my team that we chose to be on the team, all connections with Ian. Um, and that was... It was that sense of, right, we're not just doing it for the exploration. We're not just doing it for trying to protect this land, but this is this is for in Ian's memory. And so often or not, it felt like, because he had quite an interesting sense of humour. Um, he either really liked you or he really disliked you. So people, or maybe the other way, people either really liked him or really didn't like him. Um, and often when we had some really sketchy moments, especially when we were just about to go be dropped off in the insertion point um, by, by boat, it took quite a long time to even just get to the start. We had a really hairy capsize uh, in the rapids and we all got out. But it was it was almost like he's testing us. He's reminding us this is not a place to mess around. Um, and then we we pulled it off. And I can't tell you it was it, we spent fifty days moving in the deep jungle. So Anders was back in civilization on the other side of the sat phone. He was sort of being the be, filling Ian's shoes really. Um, and we were muddling through, having to figure out how to do things with the contacts and pulled it off. I was more surprised than anyone that actually we didn't actually have a big serious medical issue because we had some close close calls and uh Anders and I when we got when we sort of I met him again after the time it was just like whoa we did that and I mean it it changed my it's one of those things you have sometimes you hope you have an adventure that will change things and that really did change it and I think it also changed my mindset about how to approach the whole taking this life forward it also changed Anders life like um um, after that, he had a reputation. He was he was able to sort of set up his company in Guyana, and now he yeah he's doing some fantastic work just like Ian and working with uh, sort of supporting the sort of communities there as well and able to employ them too. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's amazing, but I'm really interested in how these journeys have changed you as a person. I think that's mm. often what you find with uh, you know inverted commas explorers, which mm. is something we'll come on to talk about. But yeah these experiences do change us and that can be for the better it can be for the worse egos purpose etc etc but you know jumping back to that knock on the door from those two guys and you you know you said it which i'm um pleased you did and i think it says a lot about you that you did there's an element of naivety there that um you acknowledge what changed in your brain what did you learn which I imagine has stayed with you around how we approach exploration and travel in places where there are, you know, people who live there who have dreams and ambitions and and arguably more of a right to that landscape than we do. I think the first thing is realising that um, and building relationships. I don't think you should ever go into a country or an area all guns blazing. Um, I absolutely hate the uh, term conquer. 
all of that, which was really bad because actually the first big article I got as soon as I got out of the jungle, the uh, the headline. Um, it turns out that um, in some a lot of the big newspapers, the journalists are really good, um, but the people who write the headlines are completely different people. <laughs> so the clickbait is real. And uh, I think the headline was something like, um, British woman Lucy Shepherd conquers new route, new jungle route, or something like that. I was like, no, it's completely the thing that I'm trying to avoid this like colonialism. <laughs> um, you know, I'm better than everyone. Um, and it's, yeah, it's not, it's something that I distance myself as much as possible. And my big thing is you, you spend time with people, you build relationships, and you, most people want adventures. And how can you include that? Because adventure, as you know, as most people probably listening to this, adventures, of course, um, can be such a catalyst for good. Um, not only for individuals, but you you can bring back this uh, this overwhelming sense of duty to protect an area, even you know, with people who live there. Um, looking at it is perspective, isn't it? And it's really getting to know who you are. Uh, it's it's a lot of these communities that in Guyana, especially, they're facing massive massive changes. Um, and yeah, there are good organisations trying to sort of look after them and things like that. But it, some of my team, who's sort of the older side of things, their life has changed a lot in 40 years, um, whereas and their purpose um, has gone a lot. And they don't have the same skills as the sort of younger, younger guys coming up now. Um, and sort of giving them that life back and that uh, self-confidence just as the reason we all go on adventures as well is something to realize um and so i think it's about being very delicate with it um and understanding cultures um not taking time with it and being patient with getting to getting to know the problems in the area um not thinking you can fix things right because you're a white person going in um and uh Getting, getting them part of the solution um, and working with them to tell not just their story, but what do they want to see. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's you, have some, you have some fascinating, you know, these people become your, your, your family, your friends, because it's just like any team. Um, and my big thing about the recent expedition, um, they're so used to being, helping out with sort of film and TV shoots, uh, where they're, it's them and us. Um, and I think your film said it beautifully. Um, and I knew that I really wanted to have a small team so that it was never just me. Uh, it was we were all we were all having the same food. We were all doing the same thing. We all shared responsibilities. Um, and they kept saying, "Well, this is Lucy's expedition. Your and it's like, "No, this is not my expedition. This is our expedition. We are a team." Um, and that wasn't just for me being like, "Oh, I'm going to be really nice and." Um, uh, right and sound nice but it's also real beneficial for me you know we're going for this really long expedition I need them to know that this is our expedition and they, I need them to be able to visualize the end and want to get to the end because if they don't you know, and the suffering gets real then they're just going to want to leave and that's not going to help anyone so it really has benefits on both sides um, and I, yeah I think your question about sort of what gives us I think he said, what gives us the right or something? Yeah. What gives us the right? I mean, nothing really um, is, the, is the answer. Uh, you, I think if, you, if you're doing it for the right reasons, you think that you're doing it for the right reasons, that's 
good and you can think of a way that you can benefit other people, including them. Uh, I say them, I mean, including not just people who are listening to podcasts or reading your blogs and stuff like that. But if you can do, do some good um, and think about it hard, then I think, yeah, you just do it with minimal impact as well. Yeah, and it's I don't want to get like academic with semantics. And this is yeah. something, you know, we're at the RGS Explore weekend, as you've mentioned. This is something I've been talking about a lot on stage and in the bar is this dictionary definition of exploration, mm -hmm. you know, which I, I can't remember it verbatim, but the point is it's going to a land that no one has ever been to before and finding out what's there, yep. which is so antiquated and rooted in kind of patriarchal colonialism. You know, you, I'm, I'm going to be deliberately difficult here Do, with kindness, yeah. but yeah. There's, a, there's a possibility yeah. that somebody might have crossed those mountains before. Mm -hmm. There's no recorded evidence of that, but it, we, and I say we as in society, not you and I, but look at this landscape as a place to be explored with the natives, the locals. Yeah, that na yeah natives is something you have to get away from. Yeah, <laughs> like, and... It goes hand in hand with the idea of savages, which I absolutely just despise. Yeah, yeah. but it, it, it plays into this idea that actually like these people want to explore their landscape exactly in the same that. way that we do. Well, exactly that. And they are just as elated and excited, the idea that we might be the first people. Um, and they are excited because we're going through this land. We, we see blatter. So blatter bleeding is a, a back to this kind of where Guyana was put on the map. In a, in a in a sort of big trade historically it's historical era is um balata bleeding is like rubber trees later we get latex uh there's, there's quite a lot of balata trees there and pretty much a lot of the amerindian community i think something crazy percentage like 80 percent of the amerindian men were uh, balata bleeders where they would go they don't damage the tree they just cut the tree scar it and the sort of milk floods out, you, you take it in buckets, it's very heavy, so you can only go, that, you have to be near, near the rivers, you can only go so far because you've got to carry it. And um, we would see these cuts from these blatter bleeders uh, so far, um, and it was really fascinating. So you know people have been there, but you also, once you're under the canopy, you, you, so virgin forest, so uh, pristine forest looks very different to other types of forest. Um, but the guys, my team, you know, we're in, we feel privileged, all of us, to be in this virgin forest um, that is untouched in terms of uh, it's it's living healthily, it's full of biodiversity, um, unlike a lot of other areas. And I think the passion for all of us when we finish that expedition was we want to protect that. And they want to protect that. I want to protect that. Um, some good has, has to come out with everyone coming together wanting to protect an area like that. And that's people from lots of different backgrounds uh, having the same view. I mean, that's where the magic happens. Yeah. Yeah, and I ask this with complete and total kindness. It's not a loaded question, but have you ever been criticised for the way you've undertaken expeditions and adventures before? Um, I think on the outset, if you see a photo of me um, with my team, you might, it's very easy to criticise. I try not to read any comments uh, on those sorts of things. And I know, I know what they're thinking. Um, but give me a chance to explain and also give my team a chance to explain. We are all, we have a great relationship. It's, uh, I love them and I think you can't wait to see that it's not as it seems. I, yeah, it's, um, 
it's something I'm very aware of, but I also just give me a, give me a chance to explain. And also, I'm, I'm working on the the documentary of that. Just look at us together. Um, it's not it's not as it seems. Um, so yeah, and I, I'm sure we can come onto it. But the term explorer and exploration. Um, I like to. So I often talk about the, the what does it mean? And you say going to un, uh, uncharted places that never you go to see what's undiscovered. But you can also look at it as going to new and unfamiliar places. Um, and from that, new and unfamiliar can be very individual. Um, so the term exploration and explorer, I think, can it doesn't just have to mean the traditional sense. And I don't. And I think some people might think that it belongs in the history books and that it is um, very uh, a bit pretentious um, to be to use it like that. Um, and it's something that yes, it happened back where there was sort of white men with big beards. Um, but yes, it did. But I think we can also look to the future and we can look at it. We can own it now. We can um, redefine what it means, uh, as well as the term exploration. There's so much exploration going on. And I think it's really humbling to be reminded of what we don't, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And that can be anything from looking under a microscope um, to figuring out vaccines or uh, I don't know what it might be, some new, a new health something or the way the eye works I don't know what it might be it might be looking it's looking at space it's looking at our oceans it's uh looking undiscovered species always um and it's how you how you define it and how you look at it and I think every one of us can be explorers because uh exploring in our mind is just as important as exploring a new place for the first time but equally kids every one of them kids you look at a child exploring um a playground or a park they in their head it's it's new for them so that's just exactly the same feeling um and i think uh, as adults we should try and get that same childlike uh, sort of i mean what what defines an explorer curiosity um asking the questions which is what we're all born with um so how can we um harness that and use it so i think yeah um i love the word explorer i think it's it's got that I don't know, it just does make you, it makes me excited. And so I, I hesitated to use it for many years. I was adventurer, um, things like that. Even adventurer sounded weird for many years, um, but I didn't know what to, what to say. And after that, Kanuku Mountain, the first one, I thought, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call myself an explorer and I'm going to face the consequences uh, and I'm going to have to sort of... Uh, look back and understand the previous explorers well let's not leave that beautiful word back in history let's take it now let's look let's think about uh how things have changed and there are a lot of we talked about it yesterday a lot of negativity ne negatives that came with um that type, type of exploration absolutely uh but we don't have to be like that anymore and we should we should take ownership of it again and we can look to redefine things like the yeah. dictionary is constantly evolving and changing exactly Exactly. And I think if you choose... Go on, sorry. Oh, it's a sexy word. Yeah. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and if you choose... You know, I'm the father of a daughter and I love yeah. the idea that she would... I mean, she might not. She might be into ballet and that's mm. fine. But the idea that she would want to be an explorer yeah. is thrilling. Yeah. Um, and I think if you want to take and own that as a word, you can. You might have to face mm. some criticism or some consequences, but actually what you're doing is looking to redefine it, it seems to me, yeah. listening to you speak. But... um. I spoke to Leo Holding about this on stage on the Friday night here. You know, it, it also seems to me like you might be, and you're very welcome to disagree or correct me if I'm wrong, to defend adventure for the sake of adventure. 
you know, we're, we're being put under a mm. lot of pressure to do yeah. science or conservation, etc. We should be doing that. Of course we should. But do you feel like raw adventure for the sake of adventure is important? Wholeheartedly, yes. Um, there's a great quote, um, which my actually my namesake, my middle name is uh, Amelia. By Amelia Earhart, there's a lot of weird things. We have the same birthday, which was not not known until a few years ago. Um, Amelia Earhart famously said, adventure is worthwhile in itself. And I think it is because with adventure, if, if you go if you go with the um, idea that you want to have an adventure and you just want to have an adventure, the things that come out of that, you will never know until you've done it. Um, and that might be how you perceive yourself afterwards and the good that you do afterwards. Um, it will be inspiring other people. Um, it's through adventure, you get so much out of it and you often don't know what you'll get out of it until you've done it. Um, and it's very easy to let life go by and settle um, and get content with things. Whereas the whole point of adventure is going into the unknown, seeing your capabilities, um, broadening your horizons, finding out you know how to be adaptable and how to work with people, uh, having really raw relationships. Uh, all of that is just, it's, it defines, defines you and it can define generations as well. Um, if you have a whole generation without adventure, then I don't think um, you're not pushing the boundaries of whatever it might be, technology, uh, I don't know, anything. So yeah, I, I will defend that. I think it's really good to think about what you might be able to do, if there is anything that you could do, but don't let, don't always, always think you have to. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do agree. No, I know some people who would disagree. and Yeah, there are a lot of people who would disagree. That's fine. Yeah. I think the fact that we're having these conversations right now is good. But it's also interesting, I think, you know, we've done over 100 episodes of this podcast and you're one of the only people to reference Bear Grylls as an early inspiration. And I used to be wildly anti. Mm -hmm. And I've changed my mind completely because, um, and obviously, you know, I'll let you discuss this, but regardless of whether or not his journeys are authentic and whether or not he's really exploring or adventuring or yep. sleeping in hotels, the point is he's inspiring people to get out there. And I think that's where adventure for adventure's sake really plays into it. You and I would not have accessed this world and this life that we now live without those early inspirations. And, you know, our mainstream access is things like Bear Grylls. It is. Yeah, no, like, I used to not mention that, um... And then I did because I thought, hey, no, it was a big part of it. Um, and things like random things that used to inspire me. Um, when Comic Relief used to do those celebrities doing long trips and you see these people, I, I, I'm a big, I just love documentaries and that sort of adventure programming. And you see these people in the, absolutely in the pain cave and suffering, yet they push through it. I found that so inspiring. I wanted to go through that same journey myself. And yeah, you Bear Grylls has been controversial, but he, I think people thought he wouldn't be around still um, doing what he's doing. His career, he's made an empire. Uh, he's a good, good businessman. He has figured out how to sort of step away from things as well. Um, and you can love him or hate him, but he has inspired thousands of scouts. Um, he has got people to sort of look at the world in a different way. And uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll take it. I mean... Oh, yeah, I, I've still not yet, still not met him. Um, but I, yeah, I sort of, there was an article uh, that was with him recently. Um, and it was with the same journalist that I had done an interview with. 
And um, the article sort of says, yeah, there's lots of critics of Bear Grylls and all of this. And uh, as he walks through the room, and then, but then I spoke to explorer Lucy Shepherd, and she said that he was an inspiration. So I'm going to, I'm going to listen to him, and I'm going to, yeah, take that, and uh, I can kind of see her point. So I thought, like, okay, if that, if that's made people realise, then yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. There's um. The climber and alpinist Andy Kirkpatrick, who's yeah. a slightly controversial figure these days, um, who I know quite well, says he said to me in Kendall actually at the Mount Festival, the worst thing about Bear Grylls is he's such a lovely man. <laughs> he's so difficult to hate as much <laughs> as you would want to. Yeah, which I liked. I thought you know for those out there who do disagree with us, who don't think that Bear is a good thing, mm. well. I don't know. He's a businessman. He's trying and yeah. he has inspired an entire generation. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And um shows you what you can do, what the power of that stuff as well. Power of telly, especially children. Look at Steve Backshaw. He's inspired so many kids to love, look look at animals in different ways. And things like that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a thing when people get popular, people tend to not like them as much. Uh, which course. is just something you have to have to face, isn't it? Yeah, but that's oh, anyway. That's a whole different conversation yeah, around yeah. the sellout. It's like, hang on, <laughs> sellout, no, I'm exactly, just yeah. a success. What? what yeah. Hang on, wait a minute. <laughs> I've achieved everything I <laughs> ever up. wanted to. Why yeah. does that make me a sellout? Yeah, anyway. uh, and and you also think when people ask you what's your inspiration, you think you should be cool. And for a while, I thought I should go. I say Shackleton. Or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's not true. No, I don't want to lie. Yeah, I want exactly. to be transparent. Like it's just going to catch me out later on. <laughs> Mine was Ray Mears. <laughs> I, see, oh, so we were pretty bad, Ray, Ray, and, Ray and Bear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not too cool. But um, but I think what's interesting about you, can I ask how old you are now? I've just turned 30. Right, okay. That might be interesting timing because um, I have no idea what it is you're doing next outside of, you know, just before we came in here to sit down, I was having a conversation with you and Niall McCann in the bar mm. and you referenced in passing what it is you're going to go and do next, mm. which doesn't sound like it's adventure for adventure's sake. Mm. It sounds like there's a bigger purpose there. So I think it would be nice for you to talk about what that is, but also to precurse it. Are you undergoing a transition away from raw adventure? I think I'm wanting to do both. Um, because of the sort of, uh, I don't know if you can say attention, but maybe started to get my name out there with the last expedition, which was the was part of you know, why why I'm sort of full time now. Um, I was you know I've managed to meet a lot of great people really at the top of their field and honored to be honored to and from loads of different backgrounds um, doing loads of amazing things. Um, and I don't know how much I can say about that sure. particular project. Um, but it's going to some way quite unexpected, I think. You wouldn't expect to do something. It's about if you invest, I, I can sort of, well, all I can say is about, it's about looking at if you invest in women, uh, you, in, you in turn invest in nature. Um, my overarching mission, as well as inspiring people, is to make, I, I really recognise that there's a lack, there's a disengagement um, and lack of connection between the natural world and most people. Um, and I feel this sort of huge heartache of the urgency of the climate crisis and uh, the biodiversity crisis. And so anything I can do that try and bring people, um, tell my tell the story but get people connected with nature and anything that goes hand in hand, that is something I want to be a part of. Um, and that really is a broad, broad subject. Um, and so I've been approached by lots of different people. I've got quite a lot of different projects coming up. Um, 
in different terrains, terrains that I've never been to, environments that I've never been to before, um, a bit more um, talking with people. Um, yeah, I don't know how much how much I can say, but as well <laughs> as well as what's going on there, I've also planning a sort of bigger adventure thing, but including more organisations um, to help because I now have that sort of leg up. I guess you can get more people on board to to make more of an impact of the good that you want to do. Yeah. So yeah, some really cool organisations that I'm going to be working with next year um, on some big ex- ex- expeditions, really. Nice. Cool. So I always end every episode mm-hmm. with two questions. Okay. Um, what scares you? Um, what scares me? I think having regrets of not doing something. Um, I am not a... Perf- I am... I am a not a perfectionist uh, which is means that I like to get things done very quickly um so that I can make mistakes fail quick fail yeah what is it fail fast fail early um and then move on to something else because I I really do feel we don't get long on this planet and as you get older it really time goes by everyone tells you that but it does it does seem to and there's so much this planet this whole world is so big there's so many people to meet and so many things to do um I get I just feel like there's so much I want to do I'm also I don't know if it's because of a woman um but I I'm very conscious that I've turned 30 um and I feel like there's an I don't know you might be you might argue with this but I feel it's quite an unfair time frame between women in this industry and men like one day I want to have kids but I know that cannot happen in my career for quite some time because it's yeah I'm not where I need to be um and so right now I've got this rule I need to go 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 and I will do everything I can in the next x amount of years um to get to a point where um I yeah. can then breathe a bit um, so yeah, it's, it's just having not regrets of doing everything I can, being as mu- as proactive as I can. No, that makes total sense. And I think I'm happy to put myself out there and I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. You know, I'm 33. Mm-hmm. I have a one year old and my wife's due to have another in three weeks. She's a kind of high flyer in her industry. She's had to take a career break. Yeah. And I... <laughs> Would I have done it instead if I could have? Don't know. I don't know if I would have, if I'm honest. And also I I would slightly disagree in a hopefully positive way of um, I don't think it's unfair. I think it's the reality is Mm -hmm. that women are going to always have to be the people who give birth. I think what we need to address as an industry, as a society, is what we do after that. You know, that's where it really is unfair, is the expectation of women and the mother and you know if my wife was here she would say i'm sure that we need to respect mothers more and put more emphasis on what what it is to be a mother but also you know what's wrong with a world where my wife has children and then goes straight back to work and i stay at home for yeah. a year no, absolutely nothing yeah yeah and it's yeah it's all about mindset and moving with the times like you say would you would you want to do that that's a different that's, that's a different question altogether um but yeah, I it's this. I really do have this ticking clock. Not not in the same way that a lot of people talk about it, but just thinking I've got to really just just do a lot. Um, uh, more pressure, maybe. 
to do things quickly. But there are some sensational women out there who work in our space who have had kids and gone back. It's exactly, and that's an inspiration to me. Um, So yeah, I definitely don't think it's going to be like, oh, you have kids and then it's done. It's just I want there's sort of a certain level I want to get to, Um, and that might that's also financially as well. I mean, and that's whole whole other thing. Um, So yeah, it's a. yeah, it's a tricky, tricky one. Yeah, the industry of adventure is a whole different yeah, conversation. Yeah, and of course it's not just the industry of adventure. It's in lots of different industries yeah. that face that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What brings you hope? Uh, the younger generations. Um, I despise if I'm you know, if you're with people who suck the energy out of you, um, whether they think the world is ending. Um, and I know we're facing huge problems at the moment, but if you think there was anyone, there is no hope. <laughs> um, but the energy of young people, and I think there's been a huge shift in the consciousness of what's going on. Um, I have every hope that we just need to get over. Sort of a few, <laughs> few sort of leaders need to be <laughs> sort of pushed out, and uh, then we will be living in a in a much better future. And you know, the big overwhel- overwhelming feeling is the green situation, the climate situation. Just think how good life would be if we were. Agree. There's no reason. We've got the technology now. Um, We would be breathing in better air. We'd have less lung cancer. It would be quieter streets. There would be less fog. Why wouldn't you want to live in that world? And I think younger people think that um, because it used to be, oh, well, technology is not as good, but it is now. It's just about where the corporate greed and the money and where that sits. But younger generations, they are coming. They have a big voice. They've got a big platform. Um, and there is every reason to be hopeful. Amazing. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit the Adventure Podcast at Co.uk podcast is hosted by matt pycroft and is produced and edited by orla omori and is a terra incognita publishing production if you want to get in touch you can do so at info at the adventure podcast or you can find us on instagram at the adventure podcast and finally please do leave us a review on itunes they really help us to reach a new audience